Hello and welcome to season three of the AA Ireland podcast. Blake Boland joins me as ever. Welcome back, Blake. Happy Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, we're back fatter and uh, and freezing. But uh, no, it's it's good to be back. Yeah, yeah, great to get things going again. Really enjoyed the last season of the podcast, and it's excellent just to get back into it after Christmas. I don't know about a lot of people out there. A few days off, it's great, but sometimes you just want to get back, get stuck in again. So we've seen icy conditions. We had lots of busy spells talking on media about how to drive in ice and snow. And we had a lot of chat about tyres as well, in particular. Lots of blog posts you might want to catch up on if you haven't, uh, talking about things like summer tyres, winter tyres, the price of fuel and the prospect of that price going up as well. But this week we are going to start the season with a talk about EVs again and we have seen a lot of activity over the last couple of weeks in relation to EV charging points and the future of EVs in Ireland. But also Blake and I have taken on quite an interesting task over the uh, last couple of weeks. We attempted to drive from Mizzenhead in Cork to Malinhead in Donegal without charging on one full charge in an EV and uh, we'll let you know how we got on about that later on. So so look, we'll start, Blake, with news that the EV situation in terms of charging is due to get a little better. Tell us what we have heard in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we're certainly hearing about plans for it to get better. So the uh, government has, through ZEVI, you know, the Zero Emissions Vehicle, have put out a plan, a couple of documents as well, announcing, you know, in the main that there's going to be 100 million euros of investment. This plan focused on improving the charging infrastructure, increasing the number of charging points. So somewhere, you know, seven, 1,700 up to 2,500, and then maybe up to close to 5,000 within three years. So it's a big amount of money being put towards it, but is it enough? Is it going to the right places? And are people actually going to act on it and put those chargers in? That's That remains to be seen. Yeah, it was an interesting to see that conference. Neither of us were at that. Um, I think our invites got lost in the post for some reason, but we weren't at that conference. But it would seem to me that it's long overdue. We had obviously peaked quite early back in the day when we had started with uh, rolling out electric charging points when there was no vehicles available or little interest, I think, from the public at the time. And we had quite a lot of them littered around the country what state is the charging network in your view at the moment across the nation? The state of the network at the moment is inadequate. I mean, the the number of chargers that we have is not anywhere near what it should be. Now, the chargers that we do have are actually quite reliable, despite what people say. The uptime of them is actually quite good. And that's something that we've spoken about in the past, the way it's a lot of the time it's actually the car that it's at fault, not the, the charger itself. So... We have a situation where the charges that are there are kind of working now. We do want them to get faster, but the main thing at the moment is we just need so many more of them. There's not nearly enough, and that flies in the face of something that came out in a Zevi document only a few months ago. And let me just give you two lines of quote from that, Paddy. At a country level, the current network of public charge points will be sufficient to meet the charging needs of BEV owners without access to home charging for the next few years. Now, me and you, we have been up and down the country in electric vehicles, especially over the last six or 12 months, reviewing cars. I do not agree with that statement, to put it mildly. No. And it's interesting. I was on Morning Ireland a couple of weeks back talking about this topic in particular, and some of the notes I'd scribbled down prior to that shows just how much the EV sales have grown, and it's quite an alarming figure. So in the last two years, 
sales have increased by 290%. Uh, in the last three years, uh, they have increased by 355%. So last year in particular, with 81%, quite a leap from, from 8,646 the previous year to 15,678. So the sales are there. Yeah, and uh, we now have in the region of 70,000 vehicles, electric vehicles in the country. Yeah, and we certainly would see more if availability was there. We know there's issues with supplies, big waiting lists on some particular brands. So the prospect that we probably will have to wait a little bit as well for even more chargers is worrying because I'm certainly starting to see queues at stations and you are as well. I've been driving up and down to Cork quite a bit and I'm now seeing queues at Ionity charging points. And whatever about the ESB ones, which are tend to be singular ones, Ionity is four or sometimes six charging points. There's queues at those. So we're in a situation now where we're going to start seeing frustrated EV owners and, and you know, difficulties at charging points. Yeah, we, we've seen that already and we've seen the queues as well. And just to, a reminder that when people are going to the high power chargers and the Ionity ones, they're paying, you know, in and around 70 cent a kilowatt hour. So massive price compared to what it was a few years ago. So even with the demand rising, the prices have gone up a lot for your electricity and people are still paying it because they still need the chargers with the increasing numbers of EVs on the roads. Interestingly enough there was another story in the Irish Times in and around the same time about two weeks ago about the poor uptake by uh, local authorities of SEI grants for on-street public charging. There was, you know, I'd looked at these notes, there was a thousand on-street public charging points available from this SEI grant. 38 of them were taken up so that was nine in Dublin, 20 in Louth, six in Tipperary and three in Meath. None of those have yet been installed. It's just incredible, isn't it? And that's a point. I'm glad you brought it up now because I was going to bring it up at some stage that the plans we've just seen only in the last few days from the government, from Zevi in particular, we are yet to see if they'll actually be taken up. The plans are great. The money is there to do a certain amount. But will it be taken up is a different story. And, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, we've seen... We've seen plans about fixing some of the issues and one or two of these issues would concern A, on the street and B, apartments. Talk to us a little bit about those two areas. How can that be solved, fixed, improved? Yeah, it's certainly an issue for people. Like At the moment, we're, we're converting or convincing or changing over people who have driveways to go EV. There's a very small amount, obviously, that, that don't have off-street parking that have taken them up. But in general, it's people with driveways. And the people that don't have them, they need to be given the chance to charge. These are people that are living in apartments or they're in city streets where they don't have a driveway outside. You can't you know, trail a cable across the path. So there has to be provision for those people. So that's turning lights, lampposts into chargers, old phone boxes into chargers. We need lots of different things like that. But do you know, Blake, sorry to cut across you, what's becoming more interesting and difficult about this is you and I are jumping into a lot of EVs to review them, the batteries are getting bigger and some of the existing on-street charging points don't make a dent when you're trying to charge them. Are, are the plans coming on involving fast chargers and does the grid have the capacity to handle these? Well, you and I have both gone to places like Port Leash, which are billed as 150 kilowatt electric chargers and they're only putting out 50. So you know, are, is there a point in adding these slower ones or do they all need to be 50 plus at least? No, there absolutely is a point in adding the slow ones. The slow ones are generally 
they're going to be AC chargers. Mm. The, the infrastructure that it takes, the, the funding, the changes that you need to make to put in an AC, char AC charger are a lot smaller than a faster DC charger. So they're a lot cheaper and easier to put in. So it's about having the right charger in the right place. So if you want to go to do your shopping, you know that's going to take you 20, 25 minutes. A DC charger is great. 20 minutes there, plow in plenty of kilowatts hours into your battery and off you go. If you're going to the cinema, you might be parked up for three hours by the time you buy your tickets, meet your friends and all that. DC chargers too fast, you'll be full by the time the credits of your movie finish, you know. Yeah, so you're going to want an 11 or a 22 kilowatt AC charger. So you plug in on 15% when you arrive to see your movie and you leave on 90% on an AC charger, a lot cheaper to put in and the electricity itself is probably going to be cheaper as well. But then again, if you're going to go from Dublin down to Kinsale for a weekend or you're going from Galway to Belfast to see some family or something like that, what you really want then is a high power charger like you mentioned earlier on where you stop you go into the toilet grab yourself a coffee and you come back out and you're gone from 20% up to 80% in 15-20 minutes something like that that's what we want then so it's the right charger in the right place and there are obvious worries about the grid being able to handle this big jump and we've seen as, as, as mentioned that some of the charging points aren't putting out anything like they're supposed to be putting out I wonder when that will be solved yeah, well, there's two points there, and I haven't seen as detailed statistics as I have for the UK grid. We can definitely draw similarities. I'm not for a moment saying that they're the same. But peak consumption was actually many, many years ago in the UK. And even if we switched all the cars over in the UK to electric vehicles, we still wouldn't use the same amount of power as the grid did a few years ago. So the idea that we all switch over and it's going to immediately melt the grid it's just not really going to happen. And we can't categorically say, no, there's going to be hot spots in certain areas where you try to draw, you know, a, a charging hub that will create strain. But just to say that adding plenty of EVs on the road is going to melt the grid is not the case. And then the other point that you made, which was quite interesting, was about chargers not putting it out. But it's not just down to the chargers all the time, as we know, when we turn up with a, a cold battery, can't accept it fast enough. So manufacturers need to put in the ability of the car to heat up that battery on the way to charger just like Tesla does by the time you plug in you're going straight up to the peak charging but we had done it in the Kia EV6 GT where we'd gone to several points and got vastly different uh, results and it wasn't down to the heat of the battery we'd done everything in terms of warming that car up in particular so there's definitely variances there is, yeah. And, and it gets down to the... And we could kind of start going through it now. Where, So when you're charging up your car at a certain kilowatt pace, that, that's a blend of, of the voltage and the amps going into the car. So you might have architecture of the battery that's built on an 800 volt architecture or other ones are 350 or 400 volt and so on. So it kind of depends on the amps that the charger can give out as well as the voltage of your car. And that's why we're seeing a lot of discrepancies. So, but the, the I mean, we're getting into the nerdy details now. People don't want to go into that amount of detail. They just want to plug in their car and go. So it should be a lot more, a lot more straightforward. All right. Interesting side note because you had said and and I'd read it as well separately that there's about seventy seventy five thousand EVs on Irish roads. I did the maths of adding up all of the various years of new EV sales going back to two thousand and eight, two thousand seven. There was none sold. Thirty four thousand five hundred twenty one, uh, not including twenty three. So there must have been a lot of imports. Definitely. I mean, it was it was good business there. There were some companies that were dedicated to it. Um, and one in particular, a company that I bought my own EV off, they've, they've closed their doors, unfortunately. Well, that is an issue. People are saying that, look, we need more affordable EVs. I, I had begged the, the question before, you know, would there be any way to have a different concession for 
zero emission vehicles coming into Ireland? Could there be different duties on? Apparently, it's not that simple. It's not that simple to have a different rate for one vehicle as opposed to another. But certainly if the UK market didn't want some of their EVs, that's a loophole maybe we could look at to be able to take some of those in. Uh, granted, you know, we're, we don't want their dirty cars coming in, but maybe we could take their EVs. Yeah, I mean, good point. But uh, the UK market doesn't want to let go of their EVs either. Okay. They're on the same strategy, roughly. You know, they, they have the same intentions as us, and that's to increase EVs on the road. And they're not going to be willing to, to ship them all around the world when they need them so badly themselves. Well, look, we, we can only welcome this news and welcome news of new infrastructure, new EV charging points. I don't want to be cynical. You don't either, I hope. But we really need to see this happen quite soon because I think we're at a fairly critical level of being the point where now there's more and more EVs landing and we're going to run into difficulties when people, certainly on the longer journeys, can't charge them. Yeah, and what I would have loved to see in this, uh, in the reports, was more talk about the grid itself and, and talk and and dialogue from air grid about capacity so it's very easy to say let's put in a hub of 10 fast chargers there but if that we're doing that we might need nearly two megawatts of energy going on to that site at any one time that takes massive infrastructural changes so the idea of just saying hey we'll just pop in a few chargers the reality of actually doing that planning permissions are the garages going to play ball and allow you to install chargers on their sites along motorways and i didn't see enough talk and conversation about that in those plans. We do, of course, hope to get Aoife O'Grady from Zevi onto the ARN podcast at some stage in the future. We spoke to her recently. She did, said she, she'd love to come on. So we can put some of those questions to her and, and go into a deeper dive about the uh, the proposed infrastructure. Now, sticking with EVs, Blake Boland and myself took on a, an interesting challenge just a couple of weeks ago, uh, post-Christmas, and it was to drive from Mizzenhead in Cork to Malinhead in Donegal, the length, the traditional point-to-point uh, -point length of the country. But we decided we would try it in an electric vehicle and we decided that we wanted to do it on one charge. So, Blake, tell us, what car did we choose for this task? Well, do you know, it's interesting, Paddy, that because I did this very journey six months ago myself and I did it in a Tesla Model Y, but I had to stop for about 15 minutes. And I've been thinking since then, could we, could, is this possible? Could you do it on a single charge? No. And really, really, there was only one car up to the task, wasn't there? Yeah, the Mercedes EQS 450 Plus was the uh, selected car we approached Mercedes-Benz because we figured out that was the only one we thought could do it. Would a Tesla Model S new one do it? The ones that we can't get them in Ireland yet, in theory, we could push it in summer perhaps, but uh, this was early January <laughs> low temperatures, howling wind and rain. Yeah, we gave ourselves the challenge of doing it in winter because we wanted to say, look, it, I wouldn't say it would be easy to do it in summer, but it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to ask that car to do that journey in summer, ideal conditions. So we said, look, let's give it a go in winter. So very simply, we, we borrowed the car from Mercedes-Benz. We collected it on a Monday morning. I think what date was that? It was, it was early January anyway. It was Monday, the 9th of January. So... Took it back to Drogheda, charged it up to 100% overnight. And then on the Tuesday uh, 10th of January, we drove all the way down to Skibbereen. And that was our first place to charge. Yeah. 
and it's the last charge point really before you head right down towards Mizzen Head. So there's a fast charger there in Skibbereen, I think it was putting out about 45 kilowatts. Mercedes is capable of taking just over 200. So it was it was lapping up the 45 all the way up past 90% state of charge. In fact, I think it was at 98% and was still pulling 20 kilowatts. It's just incredible machine. I know? couldn't like, get over how, how well that car charged. It was, I'd never seen anything like it. It was just like sucking down the electricity. Yeah. Really, really impressive. A frightening, right? Yeah. So we still had a little journey then on to Goleen where we stayed in, in uh, Goleen Harbour um, Eco Cottages, I think was the name of it, wasn't it? Um, really nice place by the way so really really impressive lovely views I think yeah we we turned up in darkness and left in darkness the next morning but uh, and and I'm surprised as well the cabin stayed up with the the storm the ferocious storm overnight but yeah what we did is we used uh, and it's a term I'm sure is not very favourable but the the granny cable was was put out the window wasn't it yeah it was so we we, we had to try and get the car up to 100% and the only option we had because there were no charging points at all past Skibbereen was to stick it out the window. And I actually still have a pain in my neck, by the way. Uh, I slept next to the char- to the cable coming out of the window and I thought I'll be fine. You know the way your your, your mother warns you about it, uh, you're getting a draft in your neck. I have a crick in my neck since then because it, it absolutely lashed rain into the window. and uh, But we got the car charged to 100%. Well, 99%, I think. Yeah, we had it up to 100 and I had the bright idea of going out and preconditioning the car while it was still plugged in just as we were getting up that morning. But it used more than it's consumed. Than it could put back in. So I think we probably left a 99.5 or something. But So, drove to Mizzen Head. Uh, awful conditions. Now, the reason we chose Mizzen to Malin rather than Malin to Mizzen, in case anyone is wondering, is because we had looked at the weather. It was incredibly stormy. So rather than driving into a headwind, we decided to use the wind slightly to our advantage it wasn't directly behind us it was a bit of a crosswind but way better than having it being headlong into us in an EV so yeah. so that so we set off uh, that morning now what were the rules we wanted to make it as realistic as possible so we were trying to do it as fast as we could obviously staying within the speed limits but obviously keeping an eye on the battery because we knew this was going to be close as well so we weren't going to sit there in an ice box, you know, we, we needed to, like I did the whole trip in a hoodie and I did not feel cold at all. So, yeah, it was just trying to keep it as realistic as normal. And if you go onto Google Maps and you type in that route, it's going to suggest a route of 602 kilometres. And it would take you about an eight hours, 20, eight hours, 30, according to Google Maps. So the effort, or my idea anyway, you weren't fully agreed. You, you were trying to be a little bit more cautious, perhaps. But I was saying, right, let's try and beat beat that time or match that time rather without breaking the speed limits yeah of course we had to drive as normal normally as possible and we were careful as well to take proper breaks so we would drive in two hour shifts stop have a coffee swap over um, because obviously you have to be very careful about doing long journeys like that but we were we we were careful in that regard but so it did it did take us a, a little bit longer overall but first firstly we were driving the first leg things looked okay then I swapped over things were sort of okay-ish and somewhere along the middle I had turned to you and asked you how you thought we were doing and you said I didn't think we were going to make it if I was a betting man 
Well, we had worked out the averages. Sorry, brother, as, as you say, Professor Boland had uh, got on his calculator and worked out the averages. And I figured out that we, you know, we, we're petrol, diesel cars. We always talk about miles per gallon. So I had a figure of kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers. That's the way we kind of rate it in the EV world. And we needed to be doing 17.6 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers or better to make it. And we were tracking something like 18, 18.2. And at that rate, we simply weren't going to make it. And at the halfway point, I was... If I was a betting man, I was saying, I don't think we're going to make this. I think we're going to fall 15 kilometres short. It might be good to pause there and and just remind people or tell people for the first time about fuel and inverted commas, you know, energy consumption in an EV. So if, can you quantify for people, if a car has a certain battery and you're returning a certain kilowatt per hour, what does that mean? Uh, You know, how can people figure out how much range they're going to get based on the given economy they're having at any given time. Yeah, you could. There's different ways of doing it. Like when you get into a car, what a lot of people focus on, and I'm not saying that it's wrong, but it can be misleading. Is that the gom or the gasometer? So when yeah. you get into a car, and, and I find it frustrating in some EVs that they don't even display the battery percentage. They only give you the guess at how much range is left. Because when we go into that Mercedes Benz, it was indicating it was full. It would have been fully charged, but it was indicating about 420, 430 kilometres in, in terms of range, in which case, if we didn't know anything, we would have been blindly panicking and going, we're not going to make it. Yeah, yeah. And and, and it's it's a guess a metre. It, it's an imaginary figure. So Based car- on the last yeah. person driving the car, which it wasn't us in this case. Yeah, and they had a heavy foot, I'd imagine. <laughs> um, and then if you toggle between sport mode and eco mode as well, it'll recalculate how much range you're going to use. So people just need to be a little bit cautious. If you get in and the car says 400 kilometres, you go onto the motorway in winter, that 400 is probably 300, let's say. But likewise, in our case, we got in, we saw 420, then we drove the car for a little bit, put it into eco mode, and all of a sudden it was displaying 680 kilometers, you know. So just for people to to have a look at the battery percentage a little bit more closely than the guessimeter alone. Yeah, so obviously if uh, the lower the number, the better. So in our case, it, we needed to get, what was it, six, 17, 17.6, 17.6 yeah. kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers. So for every 100 kilometer we did, we had to have that number consistently low and we were doing 600 kilometers. Now, it didn't look great halfway and Blake Bowling was looking quite despondent. You will see the video for this, by the way, if you want to watch the whole story on the A Ireland YouTube channel, just go on to YouTube and search A Ireland. You'll find that there. There's also a very uh, in-depth blog post on the AA.ie website as well. But if you uh, we, things weren't looking great halfway, we were starting to get a little bit tired. Sun was setting, but things changed. Yeah, the rain stopped. So as I think around Galway, wasn't it? The rain stopped and the road started to dry out a little bit. And I think that made a big difference as well. And we started to see the efficiency come down a little bit. And there's another point as well, Paddy, we didn't mention about a third of the way through the journey, just as we were around the, the time we were leaving Cork, it was nearly two and a half, three hours by the time we actually got out of Cork, wasn't it? But we went up to 350 metres above sea level because you're going through a couple of mountain passes. And that's one of the reasons that the efficiency was looking so bad at that stage. As you come back downhill, obviously using less energy and that efficiency gets a little bit better. So, yeah, we were we were doing OK and, you know, we'd, we'd done the stop-offs. And I suppose as we'd entered Donegal, as we started to approach Donegal, things looked like we could do it. But it was by no means a given. 
No, absolutely not, because we were working at the calculator, so we stopped looking at the guessimeter and started looking more closely at the battery percentage. So we knew that we were tracking for in and around six kilometers for every 1% of the battery. You know, we've got 10% battery left. That means that we probably have 60 kilometers, even though the guessimeter was saying 75. So it really was touch and go. So we'd let, we'd set off about quarter to 10, 10 o'clock, and this is now about quarter past 20 past seven that evening. We've had our swap overs. And things started to look good, but we had come to a point where we had no turning back. We had passed the last charging point and we had to make that decision. I was furiously on the phone. You were on the in the driver's seat. I was fully, furiously on the phone to our colleagues in AA Ireland getting a backup plan because we thought, right, OK, we might not make it, but we can't stop now. Yeah, Carndonna was the the town, lovely little town. Actually, we stopped lovely there place, for coffee yeah. on after the next day. Uh, yeah, nice little town. They do have a public uh, charger there, a slower AC one. But it was at that point, it's like right, we're either stopping now for 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 dinner, Paddy, and we'll charge up for a couple of hours, or we just risk it. And as you say, handy that we do work for the AA and the famous <laughs> breakdown service. If we did get into trouble, so look, uh, you know, spoiler alert, we did make it, but just. We just made it. We arrived with 2% battery and that we were starting to, was 3% battery? We were starting to see uh, the power delivery reduce as well, which is not easy given we were going up the hill to uh, Malinhead. If anyone's been to Malinhead, you know that steep little hill towards the end. So we were running out of the available power to the car, but we were also cutting it very close to the wind in terms of, of the potential range as well. But look, it was a great sensation, great feeling to arrive there, wasn't it? Yeah, let's not overlay the, the clip of us two squealing no. like uh, schoolgirls as we actually made it into the yeah, car exactly. park. I think that was recorded, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, you had to bleep, bleep you out as well. Sure, you're mouth like a docker Jesus uh, so well let's let's move on from that uh, but yeah you're right about power delivery going down and this is the case with, with all EVs uh, a lot of them go into what's called turtle mode but power is restricted as you get down uh, this you know, it's probably down in around something like 5% it'll depend on the car but I saw that needle dropping from 90% power available and by the time we were at that he said now we only had 200 metres left even though we had range for 15, 20 kilometers, but I was looking at the power dropping and I was using a lot of power because that car is 2.5 tons. That's, that's not light, it's a very, very heavy car and trying to drag itself up that hill when you're seeing that needle dropping and it was down to 40% by the time we hit that steep hill in the last few hundred meters. So success was achieved. We believe we are the only people to have driven from Mizzenhead to Malinhead without uh, an extra charge on one charge and, and thank you so much to Mercedes-Benz for, for facilitating it. Tell us what was your impression of the car overall? I mean, it's quite an impressive piece of kit. It's incredible. An incredible machine. Really was. And myself and, and, and yourself both, I think we're, well, I won't speak for you, but I was just hugely impressed by it. Supremely comfortable. I mean, everything just from how the, the, the suspension adapters were weighted right the way through to the seats itself. I mean, massage seats, but little cushions behind your head attached to the headrest. Uh, sound insulation was superb and plenty of power there to, to, to get you going as well but just an, an incredible car and the tech inside as well that hyper screen that spans the whole dash at one stage I was playing Tetris in the car buddy yeah. and look we've we've received some criticism on social media since then about the fact that oh yeah, well you did this in this very expensive car this has to be put in context this is the only piece of technology that could do this drive and this technology like every other piece of technology filters down to other cars and we've seen 
the you know massive improvements in the range of regular EVs over the last while. Oh yeah, there's a huge difference now. I mean, if you think of the car that I own myself, like on a bad day in winter on the motorway, I can only knock off 110 kilometers out of my my EV. You know. And how much would your car have been new? Oh, I'm not sure, but in and around 35,000 euros or something like that. And now 27,500 euro will buy you an MG4 that will do more than twice, probably. Oh, solid 300. Yeah, 400 if you're careful. And then there's a bigger battery that's only 34,000 euros. That'll get you 450 on a good day, you know. And I drove that car to Cork and back on the Sunday afterwards as if we hadn't had enough in terms of driving. And it was like... If I'd if I'd arrived back and realised I'd forgotten my big pen, I would have driven back. Yeah, to pick it up. Why is that? Because another thing that I'm thinking about it just chews up the miles on the motorway, which is not something you associate with an EV. But Paddy, tell me a little bit more about that because I have an experience of driving that car a long time on our our little yeah. road trip that we did. But I'd one eye on the dial, you know, whereas you were just stand cork and back in in comfort mode on, on gathering. What was that? Yeah, like? without caring because I. I that, you know, I was stopping in Cashel and my sister went me. I was stopping in Cashel for a couple of minutes anyway. So I used Diana to, to, to top up. By no means did I need to charge it very much. And even still, it was it was averaging early 20s in terms of the of the, of the kilowatt hours per hundred. Really, really good performance, but went supremely comfortable. And it just eats up miles, as you say. It, it's, a, it's, you know, the, the uh, what we haven't really seen up to now is the is the blend of a cross-country, cross-continent cruiser in an EV powertrain. Because you've always had that little question in your head, oh, like, where can I go? Can I really drive it to its capacity? And you can in that car. Just an amazing piece of technology. I'd love to try the EQE now to, to back it up to see wh- where that would be in terms of size. But wow, Mercedes have really done a great job with that car. They have. And and it's it's great to see a little bit of company up there for for what Tesla are doing as well. Because in the past, if me and you were asked, you know, you know, I wanted to go on long trips and stuff like that, we, a lot of it's kind of, a, I'll just get the Tesla, you know. Not, just, not because of the car particularly, but just the, the charging infrastructure. And the network as well. Yeah, which it's, it's the network, yeah, yeah. But now, you know, if you're saying to somebody, I'm going on a long distance trip across Europe or, or you know, from, from Mizenhead to Malinhead, you can, like, that EQS will just chew up the miles. You might even do it on one charge, you know. So, look, what have we learned from that? Because uh, it, it's all very well saying, no, we, we did that and we were the first to do it and, you know, it's, it's a nice feather in the cap. But what have we learned in terms of driving styles and also about the state of the charging network across the country as we as we see it now. Yeah, well, to start off with the charging network, I mean, it's just absolutely not adequate. Now, for us, we were in a car that was, am I right in saying, just under 170,000 euros, you know, starting at 135. Yeah, there were lots so, of options. It was one particular option, it was yeah. 26,000 euros, I think, on it. So it, well, it's a lot, a lot of options. Yeah. But... You if know, you can't afford that car, though, and, and you're looking at spending 30, 40, 50,000 euros, you're a lot more limited. And then the charging infrastructure becomes a lot more important. And it's just, it's not adequate as the numbers are increasing on the road as well. Well, what struck me, and I said it to you at the time, was, you know, you have two beauty spots like Malin and Mizzen, two tourist traps, two places where traditionally tourists would visit. And there's neither end of those have anywhere to charge, which seemed insane. So that, that really struck me as odd as well. Before we move on, big shout out to our hosts in Malin Head who were just wonderful. But what a lovely place. Elma and Donald. Elma and Donald. Yeah, was hello to you guys because uh, you were amazing hosts. We arrived in fairly tired and hungry and disheveled and uh, they went above and beyond and, and, and fed us. 
and, uh, and really, really looked after us. And then we went uh, for a couple of uh, glasses of sherry in the uh, in the local boozer. Uh, really, really fun, fun night up there as well. So uh, we did. We got a lot of attention from the side. I think it was a poker night on in the bar that night, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, so exactly. There was a lot of people um, asking us questions. And we were introduced to everybody in the bar by the, the barman himself. And he didn't say names or anything like that. He no. just, you never believe what these, what these two, two lads, lads just did. To. We, we, I think we ended up having a sort of an EV seminar later on in the night, uh, helping uh, the locals to uh, ch- choose their next car. But listen, thanks, thanks to all of everyone up there who looked after us so well. Um, look, while we're on the subject of affordability of EVs, now look, we've obviously done Mizzen de Malin and very, very expensive car. But the, the, sub, the question was asked to me on Dermot and Dave's show uh, last week. And it was, look, if you are looking for an affordable EV, what, what are our favourite ones? What ones stick out to you at the moment? Yeah, well, I, affordability, I have to start off with one of the MGs, probably the MG4. The, the value for money there is absolutely incredible. And we're seeing that car garnering awards. And, and we had our award ceremony, the Ireland Car Awards, uh, a few months ago, just before the car was released. And I think it would have made an impact. It would have made an impact. On the, yeah. I can't wait to see how it gets on this year. But it's just incredible, the value for money in that car. And in terms of batteries, there's, there's the, the standard range and the long range. And you're looking at about 51 and then 62 kilowatt hours, I think it is, um, give or take. But you're talking about solid real world ranges of 300, 350 for the smaller one and then around 400 for the larger one. And that's without trying too hard. It's not... Know, driving in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. That the the larger battery you could nurse four fifty and maybe a little bit more out of that if if you wanted in summertime just pottering around. But you can get into that car now, including delivery charges, everything all in from twenty nine thousand euros. And by the time you go all the way up to the larger battery, you're talking about thirty four, thirty five thousand euros. And this thing is kitted out with tech, the MG Pilot system. It really is just incredible. And we've seen as well big news in the last week about Tesla pricing which has suddenly changed the narrative around Tesla. And you and I have had several chats this week and we keep now going back to refer to, but you could also have a Tesla Model 3 or a Tesla Model Y or whatever. Talk us through the price reductions or, you know, is is it significant? It is gigantic. It's more than significant either. Um, Huge prices. So, you know, Paddy, being, doing the job that we do, we're reviewing cars. I, I said when I go for a, a swim, a, a swimming club or something like that, there's always one or two people after a session are asking me about it. You know, mm-hmm. we just get asked that that's the nature of our job. And people do ask frequently about Tesla's. And we'd say, you know, look, the Model 3, it's, it's great if you're doing a little bit of distance and range. Uh, we don't feel that the cars are perfect by any means, let's say. But that's uh, 52 and a half, 53,000 euros just to get into a, a Model 3. They've just slashed it by nearly 8,000 euros. That's a huge, huge amount of money. The party line from Tesla is that their capacity is better, that they can now offer reduced prices. Are we to buy that? There has to be an element of truth in it. I mean, they've been producing 1.1, 1.2, 1.3 million vehicles uh, per year, you know, as a rate up quite recently. But now China has been coming out of lockdown as well. Their Shanghai factory is going to be increasing production a good bit. Giga Berlin, which is many, many miles away from Berlin itself, a la Ryanair style, you know. But a Giga Berlin, as it's called, um, their production is ramping up there as well. Uh, supply chain issues are easing off a little bit. We saw the problems with uh, chip shortages last year. So there's definitely an element of that. But the other thing that has been mentioned a, 
as much as I think it should be is the profit margins that Tesla command on their cars and apparently it's rather large they've put a lot of money into their manufacturing streamlining thing and when you go to buy a Tesla you buy a you know a Model 3 the standard the long range of the performance and then you might choose some color seats and you might put a little bit of software onto it maybe you put a tow hitch on or change a wheel but that's pretty much it so they're just manufacturing the same thing but their profit margins are massive and a friend, yeah, a friend of mine was showing me his Tesla app the other day and I hadn't, hadn't realised that you can add features there and then on the phone as easy as that. I, you know, I know that brands are looking at that, but I didn't realise you could do it in Tesla for, for ages. Everything is already built in hardware-wise and you just tap a few buttons, max out your credit card and uh, add some, some options as well. But look, the fact is now that Teslas are now dare I say it, and it's all relative, in the affordable category because when you start comparing them to other models, suddenly they just look, it looks like you can't avoid them. Especially the Y. The Y now is significantly cheaper and that is a big car. Yeah, so in and around 46, 47, 48,000 euros to, to get into one of those now. But that has about 850 litres of space, which is just enormous, gigantic. Yeah. And that's good interior space as well. And even that the standard range one is going to get you, you know, real world 350 to 400 kilometres, you know, maybe close to 500 if you push it. You put it all together then with the infrastructure, it becomes very compelling. And I know a lot of people listening to this now are going to be throwing their, their phones against the wall going, I, I hate Tesla or Elon Musk. And, and there's, there's definitely... An, uh, a lot of people out there that would just never consider ones but but a lot of people that were borderline now that had been looking at certain other competitors and going well all of a sudden now the, the price difference is ten thousand euros what do i have to think about here or i was looking at buying you know a, a solid petrol or, or a fev car and all of a sudden going the tesla model y now is ten thousand euros cheaper than that decently spec fev that i was looking at beforehand so it really has changed the landscape and i can't wait to see how those sales numbers stack up now in six, i was going to say time. it'll be interesting to see do the numbers stack up because i think they have two delivery slots it's from march and september if i'm not mistaken that they tend to have their big shipments so we might not see that effect right away but yeah. we'll see it soon they do it in batches for sure so you look at the statistics you know at a certain time of year and you go tesla having a disaster sell the shares yeah. you know and then all of a sudden they just pop up one, one gigantic month and it also goes down to the way they, they make their cars as, as well they really do it in batches you know they, they give you a lead time to say well your car could be you know one to three months or something like that and then you get a phone call a few days later they're, they're just making them in batches you know and it just so happens that you wanted the white on red with this bit of technology in a tow bar and they've made a few thousand of them off the line there last week you'll get yours faster than you had thought another car that really did so well this year and in terms of the a Ireland car awards was an award winner was the fiat 500 electric excellent excellent car that's also one that is dare I say reasonably affordable as well yeah I think you can get into one of those for in the mid 20s as far as I know now that might be the smaller battery and you have to kind of go up into the 30s by the time you get the 42 kilowatt hour version I think it is so yeah really good value there if you don't need a big car that could be the one for you because I just pulled up the prices here from 25,995 inclusive of grants so that is really really good value yeah that's a smaller battery and then it'd be a few thousand extra for the bigger one but even still at that rate really really excellent so sticking with affordability, we, we've said MG, we've said Tesla now is considered affordable, the Fiat 500. Any more stick out in, in, in your head in terms of affordability? I, they're the highlights at the yeah. moment for, for me. Um, I, I had like the Nissan Leaf can be seen as very, very good value. The prices of those cars are actually, they're a lot lower than people think. And even when you spec up for the bigger battery, 
it's just it's been around for a while as well I mean talking about proven technology as, as much as you can in the EV space anyway I, w- but, I would throw in the mix the Hyundai Kona I, I think it's about 32,000 euro starting off and I was just it was just a car that I was so impressed by during the summer when I drove it I could not get over how consistent the economy was and how accurate the, the predicted range was as well if it said it did 300 it did 300 and I was driving the smaller battery version as well it was such an impressive little car yeah yeah, they're, they're incredibly efficient, what, what the, the Korean manufacturers have done with their cars to date. Now, the Ionic 5 and the EV6, not quite so much, much bigger cars, obviously. But previously, yeah, incredibly efficient. And I think you have to throw the Nero EV in there as well. Like that, for me... If you can get one. Was, well, that's the other issue, isn't it? Supply is, is not great of them. But as a just as a, as a proposition, as an overall proposition, between range, quality of the interior cruise control just the, the the feeling of the car the materials i thought that was superb and not huge money i mean you're just you're getting into the forty thousands, all right but not mega money relatively speaking all right i'm going to put you on the spot if you were buying an ev tomorrow what would it be oh i think i have to look at the mg4 just because of what it gives you for that amount of money um, i do have two young kids myself and with that recent price drop the model y has to be considered not a perfect car for me. Uh, I would I would be driving it around and I'd have a couple of issues with it always. But when you look at the infrastructure, the range, the efficiency of the car and the space, I mean, just gigantic. It's hard to argue with it. So there's the two that I would probably go for. Paddy, what about yourself? What, what do you think? And this is obviously we're talking about EVs here. Yeah, look, I, I'm still Polestar 2 and we're, we're going to talk about a very special one next week which was the Polestar 2 BST, uh, an extraordinary piece of kit. But uh, that's one for next week. I, I, at the moment, I think if I was going out shopping, it would be torn between that and the BMW. The, oh, uh, the i4. The i4 yeah. yeah, you did love that. I love that car. My yeah. God. Because I, I had driven the X1 petrol this week and, and we again at the end of the video directed people towards the EV version and said look it makes more sense to buy that EV version but if you had that sort of money you would buy the i4 what a car i4 M Sport 40 for me would be um, an amazing amazing car so I'd be torn between that and, and the Polestar a nicely spec Polestar 2 at the moment now uh, neither of which I'm buying currently at the moment just to put the asterisks on that but that's where I would be looking Well, look, if you want to read more of our car reviews, go to the AA.ie and we have tons of car reviews up there. Lots of consumer advice. Follow us on TikTok. We're doing lots of chat and discussion there, especially about petrol and diesel prices. Yeah, get back on to us. Leave a comment as well. It's great to interact with people. I think that's one of the fun things. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We have Uh, to. Instagram is always a good place to follow us, what we're doing quickly. And uh, we did have lots and lots of interactivity with the... uh, Instagram stories when we were doing Mizzen to Malin in the EV and look you can always get in touch with us we are happy to do advice we're happy to help out so please do get in touch on whatever platform or media you want but there's lots of offers on the AA at the moment in particular we have a really good offer on travel insurance so if you want to check that out now pay attention this isn't the AA.ie it's AA.ie forward slash podcast travel offer I'll give you that again aa.ie forward slash podcast travel offer to find out more until next time Blake Boland thank you very much take care